for those of you guys who weren't sure, uh, that's not a stock video. Those people are from our church. Um, their names are Justin and Mary Bean and uh, Baby Bean. I don't know what the baby's name is um, yet. And I don't know, we, we may not find out for quite some time. It gets touchy when new parents, when you try to guard that baby name. But, um, but Justin and Mary are a couple, covenant member couple. As they said, got married about five months ago, uh, arrived in Ecuador about a month ago, and uh, have the plan uh, by the Lord's will to be in Ecuador maybe for the next year or so. Um, we'll see. I feel like it's always kind of we'll see when the Lord's involved because a year could turn into however long. You never know. Um, but, uh, but we are blessed to be able to send them down and to uh, share a part of who we are with uh, Steve and Sandy and the missionary team and the church plant in Quito and the work that they're doing down uh, around the area down there in Ecuador. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. As a matter of fact, we have a team down there right now. The spring Ecuador trip uh, team is, is down there at the moment. They are, uh, for the past few days, they've been in the jungle and uh, to the best of my knowledge, they began with 30, and at this point in time throughout the week, they still have 30. So praise God. Um, amazing, amazing stuff that we've been able to do in that partnership for six years now that uh, the Lord has blessed us with. Um, it's been an amazing thing. Anytime I'm down in Ecuador, I, I get reminded of how laser your focus can be when you're on mission for a short amount of time like that. When you recognize, hey, we landed on Sunday, we're going to be gone next weekend, Every, every moment is crucial. Every evening is important. Every afternoon matters. Every conversation, uh, everything, it matters. Uh, Sarah and I, my wife and I, were driving in the car last night talking about this, the same issue of time uh, because we, we got the phone call, actually, that for a few months her grandfather has been uh, very sick. And we got the phone call last night that last night probably would be the last time that we could say goodbye to him. And so we... Uh, had somebody come over. We didn't just leave our sons at our house. We thought a baby monitor could reach 20 miles to Mobat, but we decided to, uh, to, it would be safer to have somebody came, uh, to come over. Although, then we realized after we got to the hospital that they didn't have a cell phone and we don't have a home phone. So we were kind of still walking out on faith there. But, uh, but it, it put the boys to bed. Uh, we left, drove out, and we were just wrestling with, uh, no matter how much time you think you have, it never seems like it's long enough. And um, even when you can celebrate to some extent at the end of, of her grandfather's life, who was a Christian, uh, I, I believe that he is in a far better place right now. Uh, it never changes the fact that, that, you know, we get so lackadaisical with our time. We get so lackadaisical with our energy. We, we can be so accidental and not on mission so easily. Uh, why it changes when you get to Ecuador and then you get back into the States, all of a sudden this, this switch flips. I don't know if it's the air conditioning or the water that you can drink or, or the lack of weird bugs, creepy crawly things around like by your bed. That's, some of you guys may have that in your house and that, that's totally okay. But, but for me, we try to not have that as best we can. My wife hates spiders. Uh, something about being back in this context, just we forget so easily. Uh, I want to begin tonight wrestling with this question. What am I doing here? It's a pretty important question. Some of you may be asking this question literally because maybe you didn't understand that this was a church building when you walked in. And so you're asking, actually, that is, that is my question right now. What are we doing here? Um, but I want to back away from that in a bigger sense. When's the last time you sat down, you, uh, your spouse, a friend, 
looking at your kids, you know, at your job, just doing all the things that you do in school. When's the last time you just sat back, took a breath, and asked yourself, what am I doing here? Am I, am I just the sum total of trying to make money every week? Am I just the sum total of trying to earn a certain grade? Am I just trying to, to, to build up enough stuff to have that eventually I'll, I'll have to let go of? I mean, what are we doing here? Um, tonight, there is an amazing opportunity to dive into a new layer of Paul's writing to this Corinthian church. And I think he's beginning a three-chapter-long section that's wrestling with how the church is called to be together in light of pretty amazing things that happen in their midst. And, and I, I hope where we can get to together in the end is a celebration that all of this, at the end of the day, most importantly, comes back to the personal work of Jesus Christ. The gospel, that's what matters. So instead of packing up and going and have the band come up uh, for just the second worship set right now, I would love to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11 with you. If you can turn there, uh, we're going to get into a pretty awesome passage tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Paul, in his correspondence to this church, it's, it's been pretty amazing for the past however many months that we've been on this journey as a church. We try to go through scripture verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we've seen this relationship unfold between a missionary uh, and a church that... Uh, that he's helping continue on. He's giving them guidance. He's giving them instruction. He's, he's trying to encourage them most of all on what it looks like to stay together and unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that actually affects the community that we have together in the gospel. So he begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 2, he says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Verse 3, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So to begin a huge uh, passage, he begins by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers or, or brothers and sisters. It seems that the church has written him because there's been things happening in their worship gatherings that they're trying to make sense of. And in the ancient Greek culture, there were a lot of things that were, that you could say were under the banner of, of spiritual, um, supernatural looking things, people saying things and doing things and, and witnessing seemingly miraculous things that were claiming to be to the credit of certain gods or goddesses or idols. As Paul brings up here, he's, he's writing to give them some encouragement on what is right in terms of how to navigate through being faithful as a church when it comes to spiritual gifts. He says in verse two, he says something really, really wonderful. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. When you were uh, pagans. He says, when you were pagans, you were led to idols that couldn't speak, that couldn't provide, that couldn't guide. You, you weren't even led by the idols. You were only led to the idols. They were just these wooden statues that sat there and didn't do anything. You were led to these things when you were pagans. Now, an amazing thing about this, a little gem hidden underneath the surface is that the word that Paul uses for pagans in verse two is actually the word that, that is used to, to describe a Gentile. So he's saying, when you were Gentiles, you were led astray to mute idols. Now, why is that amazing, you may ask? And if you're not, then... 
I'll help you ask that. That is amazing because uh, who makes up a large part of this church, the, the majority of the church? It's the Greek world, Gentiles. Paul is talking to a church largely made up of people, Gentile by birth. And he makes a statement and he says, you know that when you were Gentiles, you were led, by mute, uh, led to mute idols. It's kind of a crazy statement. It's like if he came here into this church tonight and he said Christians, brothers and sisters, who've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who've been adopted into the family of God. You are a part of a new thing. You've been born again into a new family. Back when you were Americans, when you were just Americans, you used to do X, Y, Z. It is not an easy time to forget that we're Americans because there's this kind of big, dramatic, sensational election that seems to be happening all the time and can't get out of the news. But as much as we're Americans, Paul elsewhere in Philippians affirms that though we may have a physical citizenship here, they, that all of us in Christ have a greater citizenship where? In heaven, with Christ. So he begins by saying, when you were pagans, you were led astray to these mute idols. But he says, therefore, I want you to understand when you see these crazy things that may seem like they're not ordinary to you, these, these supernatural spiritual things, when you see these things, understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, which... Saying that Jesus isn't Lord is what all the other religions would be doing. Speaking in their own tongues. Uh, uh, being being uh, flamboyant and flashy. Um, nothing that denies the Lordship of Jesus Christ uh, is of the Holy Spirit. And then he ends that verse, he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Which means you have to have the Holy Spirit inside you to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That it's a work of, of the Holy Spirit that enables you by faith, to cry out, that gives you the faith to cry out that Jesus is the Lord. He said, he used to do all these other things that, that didn't agree with this, that didn't agree with this fact that Jesus is Lord, but, but that was only when you were Gentiles because you're far different now. And I look back and I think about how much, if we really knew the level of miraculous deeds that it took by the Lord to convert every Christian in this room, I think we would be amazed right now. I mean, if you realize how many people, like the ways that it took, I mean, you're going from this journey. You were once somebody raised in a certain family, with a certain job, with a certain future, with a certain preoccupation, certain way of life. And then the Lord called your name, breathed his Holy Spirit, the breath of life into your lungs for the first time. You were born again, follower of Christ now, proclaiming the, the, the Lord of all creation is Jesus. If you would believe that you... 10, 20, 30, maybe two, maybe six months ago, maybe many years ago, that tonight you would be sitting here trying to wrestle with how a spiritual gift can come to bear in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a miracle when you really think about it? Everywhere that we were, everywhere that we were going, and they were every direction but God, but God, rich in mercy. It's a miracle. Paul begins right away by saying, no, 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 this whole spiritual truth that you're seeking after about spiritual gifts and manifestations and signs of the spirit. This, this begins with an understanding that you're a new person. You're a new church now. A bunch of miracles walking around and so are we. He continues on in verse four. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Verse five, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Verse six, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse seven, to teach uh, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
Now, there's three statements that seem to be in parallel with each other. And there's similarities and differences. Some of the similarities is that there are varieties every single time that are, that are listed. And at the same time, there's a difference. There, the, there's, um, there's the differences of gifts, of services, of activities, which don't seem to have much of a huge uh, distinction in any of the language. He's saying there's a whole lot of different stuff going on, but it's the same God that empowers it all. It's the same God that empowers spiritual gifts to happen in your midst. It's the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, the same God, the Father of all things. It's the same, the one and the same God who is enabling these things. And he says to each, to every single person, to every single one of you is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So two things that come out of this. There's, there's four different truths that I pull away from this tonight. First is this, that there's one giver. There is one giver of gifts. There's one giver of spiritual gifts. And the question that we can wrestle with, there's, there's a question that I've been wrestling with each one of these that you can join me in this is who am I worshiping? Am I worshiping the giver? Sure, you may have just been worshiping him in, in song a few minutes ago. But what about when the music ends? What about tomorrow morning? What about in your job? Who are you worshiping out there? Because he's the same giver out there. He's the same giver in every facet of life as he is when we're in musical worship here uh, in a worship set. There is one giver, but there's not only one giver, there's also one church. One giver, one church. Because these spiritual gifts are uh, manifestations for the common good, not for the benefit of just an individual, not to make one person stand out, which is kind of the whole point of the next three chapters. Please keep coming every week. I didn't just give all of it away, but that's kind of the point is we're all in this together, no matter how you cut it. So if you're asking yourself, uh, who am I worshiping that with this reality that there is one church, uh, the question is, who am I with? Who am I with in all this? Uh, quick poll. Does anybody in here love to go paintballing? Any, by anybody, any chance? A few in there? Okay, well, you guys know who you are now. You can figure it out afterwards, and the rest of us can leave it alone. Um, I, there are so many things about the, I don't, do you call it a sport? I don't know if it's a, a game, the activity of paintballing. There are so many things about it that I absolutely hate. Uh, main reason being, I don't like to be startled. Okay, I don't like to be scared. So Mark, Mark always talks about, you know, The Walking Dead. Not my kind of show. I can deal with, like, long, suspenseful, creepy, because that, well, that's, that, that's just a different kind of thing. But I can't do the whole, like, bust through the door and, and scare the bejesus out of you. That's, that's not how I'm built. So paintball is like a nonstop every other second. It could be the next time you get that pellet, like, right in your chest or in your face. Or in your, if you're like me the first time you go and you don't bring enough clothes, like, right on your, uh, on your exposed skin. It's not fun, okay? Now, here's why I don't like paintball. It never goes well for me because my instinct, you know, we all get together as a team. It's like capture the flag on two sides. Uh, You're trying to get their thing, you know, to to not score a goal. You're trying to, like, recover uh, your your stuff that's in the back of their territory. So before you get out, everybody's got the game plan, and then you, you know, you break, you you get ready, then the whistle blows, the horn blows, whatever it is to start it, and, and you are supposed to act in line with some sort of a game plan. Because you have a team of people that you're supposed to use certain decoys, you're supposed to have certain ways of, of attacking, ways of distracting, ways of, of getting by so that the right people can get in there and go after it. And I want none of that because I'm too scared. So here's what I do. The whistle goes off and everybody goes like to their respective places. And I, uh, I, I can't act like I've done this a lot. It's three times that I've gone. Uh, all three times, which at least shows some of my true colors. 
I don't run toward the battle plan. I go straight to like the biggest tree I can find and hide behind it. Or I find like as much brush as I can and lay down and just see if I can like hold things and blend in and act like, you know, they're not going to see me. No, but, but we do that. We do this. You know, it's, it's not just in paintball, uh, sadly enough. We, we do this in life. I mean, we can, we can be great recognizing the one giver. That can be great. Me, me and God, me and Jesus is awesome. But the one church, I'm not so sure about that. What I think we find ourselves doing sometimes is, is, um, is in receiving the gift of faith, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and going out to do ministry, going out to live, going out to serve the Lord alone apart from the church. We're kind of like somebody who goes their own way and, and is only focused on their one battle plan of survival and has no regard for what the larger battle plan actually is, uh, what the war actually is. Um, there's one giver, there's one uh, church. But we're going to get into um, to a lot of talk about spiritual, uh, spiritual gifts tonight. Spiritual gifts. Uh, and so as we begin to wrestle with this, um, we got to lay some groundwork. And, and so for me, I just want to give a shameless plug. I actually took every one of these statements in one form or another from uh, the meeting in our discipleship module. It's, a, it's, it's not discipleship itself, but it's the way that we equip people to get into Scripture, to disciple one another, to make disciples our calling as Christians. I took every one of these statements in one form or fashion from the spiritual gifts meeting itself. It's, in that meeting, it's got the, the other passages in Scripture that cover the different lists of spiritual gifts and things like that. We're only going to look at what we're wrestling with tonight in this passage, but, but we have to affirm some groundwork before we get into talking about spiritual gifts itself. So first, spiritual gifts are, uh, number one, any Holy, uh, Holy Spirit-empowered ability which edifies the church and glorifies God. Any Holy, uh, Holy Spirit-empowered ability or gift that edifies, that builds up the church, and that gives God glory. Um, it's about mission. Because why is the church here? It's to proclaim the Lord Jesus on mission for God. So I believe at the heart of it, Holy Spirit, uh, empowered spiritual gifts are missional. Absolutely about uh, fulfilling our roles and what the Lord has for us in his mission. And it's not over. But uh, they're not just Holy Spirit empowered uh, gifts for edification of the church and glorifying God. Number two, holy, uh, spiritual gifts are only given to followers of Jesus. Again, if you, if you want some of the scriptural backing on this, uh, I can get you a module tonight and you can have some of that. But, but spiritual gifts are only given to followers of Jesus because it takes the Holy Spirit to produce these things. It's not just a man-made effort. So if you don't follow Christ, the Holy Spirit does not dwell inside you. This is, this is kind of a logical uh, thing. Number three, the Holy, uh, I keep saying the Holy Spirit. The Holy, the spiritual gifts. If I say it enough times, I've said this word like 48,000 times over the past five or six days. Spiritual gifts, thank you. Number three, are given to all followers of Jesus. So even in verse 7, it just said it, you know, to each is given, to all. Every Christian possesses at least one spiritual gift. And it may not be on this list tonight, but, but somewhere in Scripture there, is, there are descriptions on the list of spiritual gifts or other places that describe how you are gifted specifically by the Spirit to uh, participate in the Lord's mission within the church and for the world. And number four, spiritual gifts... Uh, are not normative uh, for every church or for all Christians. 
It would be crazy if it was. I mean, you think about, there's a, it's kind of an exhaustive list when you put it all together. If every Christian was equipped with all of these things, it would be absolutely pandemonium. It would be crazy because we would all be walking around doing, I mean, there would just be so much that we would be doing, uh, performing, showing, saying, interpreting, understanding. No, that it, they're not normative for uh, every church uh, or for all Christians, but every church will have spiritual gifts in their midst because they have Christ followers in their midst, you hope. If a church doesn't have Christians in your midst, then you're not really a church. So, so every church will have spiritual gifts in their midst, um, but it's not normative. There's no one list that says every church has to have these specific gifts. There's Of the five places in the New Testament where the spiritual gifts are listed, no one gift is repeated on all five lists, which seems to say that, that the, the different churches that are being written to in the New Testament about these things were not experiencing the manifestation of all the gifts at one time together. So the Lord was doing different things. He was using different opportunities, different, different places, different, um, just different situations to advance the gospel through different spiritual, Holy Spirit-empowered gifts in their midst. Uh, they're not normal for every church or for all Christians. Number five, they're counterfeit when a person is being exalted rather than God. And you've seen this. And you think you've sensed it before. I mean, somebody's up there doing something and they're saying God, they're saying Jesus, but at the end of the day, you remember them way more than you remember anything about God and Jesus. I mean, our goal as Christians should be to be forgotten as we serve so that he would be remembered all the more. Um, Is a man or a woman being exalted over God or is God the only one in the throne? That is one way to tell if a spiritual gift is proper and true. Number six, a a spiritual gift is counterfeit when uh, it or when the practice of the spiritual gifts kills unity in the body of Christ. The whole background reason why all of this is being written in 1 Corinthians is because Paul is trying to encourage this church to say that the practice of these things are good and wonderful and amazing when you understand them for what they are. But it's only ever meant to, bring, to, to build more unity within the church. Never to divide it. Never to have somebody stand out as looking better than another. Never to have somebody as being valued over others because of the way they're gifted or the way that, that God uses them to, to advance the, the kingdom and claim the gospel. But these spiritual gifts are counterfeit when they kill unity in the body of Christ. They always, they always unite God's people in one way or another. Number seven, lastly, the spiritual gifts are extensions of our lives which all bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So not every Christian is going to have, there's no gift that's normative. We're not all going to look the same in that, but we will bear the same fruit. So we all bear spiritual fruit. Galatians 5 lists off love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Qualities that are fruits of the Spirit, supernatural in and of themselves, because you've been in the situations where you know, left to my own desires, I would kill this person right now. Okay, that, that would, this would just be done. Okay, But by the power of the Holy Spirit, these fruits are growing up inside you. You can't stop it from growing inside you, Christian. If the Spirit is doing what God wants, God wants what, God gets what God wants. So all of us are producing fruits of the Spirit, and of lives that produce the fruits of the Spirit, Different gifts are used specifically for specific purposes in the kingdom of God. So we have these things out of the way. We have to cover some groundwork on that because where we're going to go is is we're going to get into some of these. And uh, there are varying different directions that you may have in these. I just want to encourage you that um, this is life-giving and amazing truth. I hope hope we see that together. Verse 8, Paul says this, For to one one person is given uh, through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, the speaking of wisdom of some kind, 
and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. So you first have wisdom and knowledge. Now, if, if somebody is not a believer, not a Christ follower, but they seem wise or they seem knowledgeable, can that be a spiritual gift? Well, I would say no, because there's no possible way that they can proclaim that Jesus is Lord even more be through that gift. So somebody would have uh, wisdom as a spiritual gift if they're able to teach in everyday situations to some form or fashion. Uh, heed biblical wisdom for sure, enabled by the Spirit. Someone would have the gift of knowledge in the Holy Spirit if they were able to understand deeper mysteries of God. Um, to, move, to move beyond um, uh, the, 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 the milk of, of, of like what infants have, like it says in Hebrews, to move further into some of the deeper things that Scripture proclaims about God, to understand more of his character in a deeper way. And again, in no way are these meant to divide people out. Um, they're meant to unify the church. In verse 9, he continues on. He says, to another, faith by the same spirit. And we could pause right there because is faith itself a spiritual gift. Well, it's given by the Spirit, but this is a different kind of faith that Paul's talking about. The faith, that saving faith that we all have as Christ followers, uh, still given by the Spirit, cannot be earned, nothing in and of ourselves of God's total free goodwill and pleasure that he reached in and saved every one of us who confessed the name of Jesus Christ. But there is a possibility that you can have a gift of faith that would be something different. And it seems to point to a reality that, that to have the spiritual gift of faith means to believe that with God all things are possible in even like spontaneous, huge, above average ways. So in some ways, we all want to believe that with all things, uh, all things are possible through God, right? I mean, don't, don't we want to believe that? I mean, with God, all things are possible, amen? So let me ask it a different way. With God, are all things possible? Yes, okay, good. Now we can all say that. But when the time comes, some of us may be given a deeper level of insight to be able to hold on to that more than most. And they may have the spiritual gift of faith. But then he gets into a different direction. And I I just want to ask this question one more time. Can God do anything he wants? Okay. We have to keep that in mind. Because we get into some situations where it begins to mess with our clean-cut Western ways of seeing the world. So... In verse 9, Paul continues on. He says, to another, uh, th- they receive gifts of healing by the one spirit. Do you believe God can heal people? Yes. Okay, amen. Um, do you believe that God can use people to heal people? Okay. You should know as a church that our eldership, our, our, our pastoral eldership, do not see, um, we don't see some of these more miraculous, um, you could call them charismatic spiritual gifts, we don't think that those, uh, that the Lord caused those to cease after the apostles uh, all died out. Um, We're not cessationists. We believe that the gifts are alive and well today within the right boundaries, within the right methodologies. Mainly for me, the biggest biggest celebration is that the Lord seems to do amazing things all around the world right now to proclaim the gospel in places where there is no scripture, in places where uh, there is no established church, He seems to stop at nothing, whether it's healing people or speaking to people in dreams or doing amazing things to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So some will have the spiritual gift of healing, the ability to cure various illnesses, sicknesses, physical, maybe emotional. I was sitting with Pastor Lonnie. We were talking a few days ago. He said, if if I could pick one of them right now, I would just hope that I could have like grabbed that one. 
Because as a pastor of care and counseling, you want to be able to point your finger and heal people by the power of God. Not quite the, the, the way that we work. Uh, it seems like the Lord has different plans often, but some of you may have gifts, may have a gift of healing either throughout your life or in specific situations. It's amazing. God can do what God wants. In verse 10, Paul continues on. He says, to another, the working of miracles. Do you believe miracles can happen? I mean, I, I feel like that's, that's the thing that my faith comes back down to so much. Do I believe that God can do exactly what he wants to do in this moment? Do I believe that God's not bound by, the, by law, like natural laws, like, like God exists underneath the sovereignty of natural scientific law or something like that? God can do what God wants to do. And so if people have uh, the spiritual gift of working miracles, uh, they may be able to have the ability to do powerfully some, we'll just say, unnatural things. Um, we should celebrate again tonight that God is, is about doing way more than just what's natural. Because what's natural to us is not very natural to God, often. Um, some of us will have the working of miracles as a spiritual gift. Paul says another one in verse 10, he says to another, prophecy. Now this raises a whole new level of questioning. Is this, does this mean that people can speak inspired, inerrant prophecy that would be equal online with the revelation of, of Scripture? Well, no. Um, even all throughout the Old Testament, you see prophets that don't live inerrant lives. Jonah, when God goes, tells him to go preach repentance to Nineveh, Jonah, what does he do? He turns and he runs. He doesn't do it. I don't think that we're supposed to, that, that's not something that's flawless. That's a broken thing right there. Um, Jonah's not perfect. Prophets weren't perfect. But the one who communicated through them was perfect. Now, part of the human element that comes in here is if you have somebody who seems to have the spiritual gift of prophecy, it's a tricky thing to navigate because you have um, a perfect God who's using an imperfect person, which is kind of all of our cases. I mean, it's kind of all of our cases in some ways. Um, if someone has the spiritual gift of prophecy, they seem to be able to declare God's will to the people, often in spontaneous ways. Often in ways that they, they it's not really about doing their own research and then showing up to a church service and saying, hey, um, I, I, think, I think God's will for you is this. And when they really, all they did was they just looked at your Facebook profile like four years ago and are trying to like pass that as prophecy. No, it seems to be something where somebody, think about this, think about somebody sitting next to you and turning to you and saying, why aren't you repenting to the Lord because of this thing? And it's something you've never told anybody. Do you believe that's possible? I believe that's scary. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just, I believe that's scary right now. But I, but I believe it's possible. I believe that God will stop at nothing to bring truth, gospel truth, into the lives of his church. So some people may have a spiritual gift of prophecy. Uh, he, he goes to another gift here, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits Again, this is in Corinth. This is crazy land of supernatural spiritual practices. There's, there, there are prophets and prophetesses who claim to be speaking on behalf of their gods and goddesses. There are people who are offering different sacrifices to things, who are, who are seeming to point to different events and calling them miracles in the name of their gods and goddesses. Um, Paul says that some people will be given the ability to discern um, to discern between the spirits, which means that not everything that looks supernatural comes from the Lord. Something is supernatural according to Paul in this passage because Jesus is Lord is being proclaimed because of what's happening. Not everything supernatural that happens proclaims that. But Paul's saying some people will be given the ability and praise God 
in the right environments to be able to discern when there's different spiritual realities that they can discern good from evil, God from the demonic. Uh, He continues on. He says, to another, various kinds of tongues. Various kinds of tongues. I'll say this. uh, Tongues in scripture are, uh, are communicating an uncommon language. And that plays out in a lot of different ways. In the book of Acts in chapter 2, at Pentecost, what happens, the Holy Spirit, as everybody, uh, from all these Jews from all these different neighboring lands with different dialects and languages, they've all come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Pentecost. And what happens at Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. All of these people begin, uh, uh, many people begin speaking in tongues. And what happens is that many people there are hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own language. And then uh, uh, shrewd on the Lord's part, they go back to their lands and go proclaim what just happened. So in one sense, uh, a tongue that's being spoken is simply a language that's being spoken. And in some way, it's, it's all language, whether it's discernible or not. But discernible language, understandable language like Chinese or something like that is one option. Uh, but another option is uh, the need for an interpretation of tongues, which Paul says next to another is given the interpretation of tongues. I had to wrestle with this because for a couple of years, I basically convinced myself that the only way the tongues were spoken was if somebody was in the room to understand that in their own language. But then I, I kind of got messed up by this verse because if somebody, if, if there's a need for the interpretation of tongues, then there isn't already anybody who can naturally interpret what's being said. So you have a wide spectrum of what can happen. Somebody in worship, in a corporate worship setting, is given uh, an utterance of the Lord And if they have the gift of speaking in tongues, can speak out and proclaim things that maybe aren't very common, uh, aren't very commonly known within the church body. But what should happen in the public worship setting, again, remember, this is for the edification and the unification of the church, is that somebody in that worship gathering would stand up and interpret what they're saying using their own spiritual gift. So whether it's somebody who stands up and speaks Chinese and says, hey, let me say what that crazy guy is saying over there, because what he's saying is really good. He's proclaiming the gospel. Or whether it's something that isn't understood, but then somebody stands up and says, I I know what he's saying. Again, I I come back to just asking this question, can God do what God wants to do? Now we have to be careful. We have to be careful because we are forever glory-seeking people. So whether it's wisdom or knowledge or faith or miracles or tongues or prophecy or miracles, all these things, every one of us are an imperfect person. Even saved by grace, but still not perfect, still selfish in so many ways. So, so, so the danger is, is the gift genuine? Is this pointing to the Lord in a way that enables the whole church to be able to say Jesus is Lord in a greater way? So we've looked at, um, we've looked at the fact that there is one giver. We've looked at the fact that there is one church. Who am I here with? And then we've seen just from this list by itself that there are many gifts. There are many gifts. And the question that I want to wrestle with in that is uh, coming shortly. Hope, hope so. Uh, next slide, please. There we go. The, the next question that I want to wrestle with is how am I equipped? I don't want you to ask how am I literally equipped. I want you to ask how you're equipped. How am I created? How, how has the Lord brought me to this place empowered by the Spirit to serve him in his kingdom? What, what, what gifting do I have? Uh, how have I seen him use me? Because some of this is not just a question about spiritual gifts in a proper sense. It's just a question of how does the Lord use me? What are you passionate about? What can't you help 
not doing. You wake up and you have to do that almost every day. And it not, not only does it bring you joy, but it enables you to, in some way, shape, or fashion, allow you to say Jesus is Lord in a stronger way and proclaim the gospel to others around you and bring unity to the church around you. Now, I wish we had endless amounts of time to go through how to actually work through your own story, how to, how to really discern personally what is my gift. Can, can anybody speak into that? Never do it alone in isolation, by the way. You may take a spiritual gifts test online and think you're somebody you're totally not. But maybe you take a spiritual gifts test alongside somebody. Uh, you just Google spiritual gifts and then you bring those results in some free test you take or please don't spend a whole lot of money and let them con you out of all your money. But, but you bring the results to somebody, a, a trusted friend, a spiritual leader, somebody in your lot family, a discipler, and you say, hey, this is, what, this is what this thing is telling me. What do you see? What have you seen in my life? Um, if you want to wrestle with that, we're going to do that in our lot families this Sunday. In a, in a lot family setting where we know each other, where we are always trying to get to know one another more and more, we're going to wrestle with this on a personal level. How am I gifted by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, to advance his kingdom, to proclaim the gospel in a deeper way? So we're going to do that Sunday. Please come Sunday if you want to check it out. There's a board out front that tells you where uh, so many of them are in our sweet flat screen TV that is a major upgrade to the Lot family poster, by the way. Um, I should clarify that the numbers by each house isn't like a ranking. It's not like there's like the best lot family and then like the 23rd best lot family, which isn't much to, 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 to talk about. But, but come back on Sunday because we're going to wrestle with that together. Um, so there's one giver, there's one church, there are many gifts. How are we equipped? But what about when you don't feel like you're being used by God? Anybody just in that season of life right now, you just, you just I'm, I'm doing this thing, but I really don't feel like God is using me. I'm going to church. I'm trying to do all the stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work it out, but I don't even see how God could possibly use me. Uh, there's four different things that, that seem to me to be barriers to this. I, I don't feel used by God when, number one, I see no immediate result uh, from the labor that I'm doing. We're so results-driven. We're so immediate right now results-driven. Uh, when Jesus gives the parable of the mustard seed, and he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest possible seed that they could think of. He's saying the kingdom of God is like this. It's like something that when it's planted, the farmer just plants it and then he goes to sleep. That, that's his job. He plants it and then he goes to sleep. And then he gets up and he does something else the next day and then he goes back to sleep. He just does his part. But the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that you can't even see for a long time. But then all of a sudden, something really small breaks out. And then sometime later, it's bigger. And then you realize one day this, this thing that you couldn't see at all has become this huge, wonderful, amazing thing. He says that's what the kingdom of God is like. And so when we don't see the immediate fruits from the labors that we give, I just want to encourage you to, to take heart because um, God's timing is often way better and way more uh, faithful than ours. Second thing, I don't feel used by God when I have a low view of myself and my surroundings. Uh, I, I've heard a lot of people teach and preach about how we need to repent of our pride, but when's the last time you've, you've repented of having too low a view of yourself before God? God, I'm sorry that, um, that, I've, that I've looked at what you've done with disdain. I'm sorry that I've lost faith that you're still doing something in me. I don't feel used by God when I have a low view of myself and my surroundings because um, if you don't believe that you have been washed by the blood of Jesus, if you don't believe that 
that the personal God in the person of the Holy Spirit dwells within you, enabling you to do whatever God wants for the sake of his kingdom. If you don't believe that you're a son or a daughter of the king, then that can get in the way of you understanding how God is using you. But it's not just a low view of yourself, a low view of your surroundings, being aware of the situations that God has around you. How aware are you, sensitive are you to the spiritual needs that are around you, to non-believers, to, to people who haven't heard the gospel? Uh, I'll say this, my, my wife is a teacher. And um, last fall, a particular kid in her class, as the year started off, uh, he, he really got on our heart. Was, there was something about him that Sarah really, really was, was thankful for, was just blessed um, when she thought about him. It, it, she, she was basically led to say, I think there's some way that we need to minister to this kid and to his family. Well, Sarah's able to actually connect sometime later, a couple months later, with uh, this kid's mom, who has had a really rough life and works midnights and isn't able to get him to school on time half the time. And Anyway, one, one, way, one thing leads to another. And Sarah and I have been praying for months at this point, praying for an opportunity for her to witness to this woman. Uh, well, one day after school, the mom comes, and Sarah actually, there's an opportunity, and it completely feels like it's a, an ordained, led by the Spirit opportunity. Sarah takes, kind of takes her job into her hands. Again, she's a public school teacher, and she shares the gospel. She shares Christ with this woman. And you know what the good news of it? She didn't reject her. <laughs> she didn't say yes. I mean, she didn't like, she didn't like rend her garments and like get down on the floor and just, Lord, I'm yours now. But she didn't say no. And you know what that is? That's a victory. Now, what happened after that, it was amazing because we were able to, uh, she was able to connect, to offer the mom away. She said, I, I know a church uh, close by. It's actually, it's not this church. It's her parents' church that live closer to uh, this family, I know a church close by that, that would be willing to, to help get him to school. So she arranged rides to help pick up this kid in the morning and get him to school and to, to invite him to things that they're doing and to be witnessing and things like that. Uh, she would have totally missed that five years ago because we weren't praying for that. We weren't praying. We weren't looking at our surroundings compassionate like sheep without a shepherd like Jesus did when he looked at the 5,000. We looked at our surroundings complaining most of the time that it wasn't what was good enough for us or was adequate or, or convenient enough uh, for us. But man, like united praying together, God, reveal a way. God, God, just please open up a door. It was amazing. So I don't feel God, uh, I don't feel used by God when I have a low view of myself and my surroundings, but I also don't feel used by God when I'm jealous of others in the church. When you look at somebody else, another mom, another dad, a husband, or somebody else who has a job similar to yours, somebody you know makes more money than you, somebody who seems more charismatic than you do, somebody who seems like they have it all put together more, somebody who seems like they're just like, like checking off the box, like people that they're seeing being saved every week or something, and you're not. I mean, it, it's so easy to look out and to be jealous of others in the church, other people's situations in life, relationships and things like that. Again, like the spiritual gift thing doesn't work at its best when the church is splintered, divided, running away from each other. Uh, fourthly, I don't feel used by God when I want God's glory to be mine. Uh, ever since I was like three years old, I wanted to be like a, a band drummer, like in front of, in front of like huge crowds. It was, it was just in my mind. I've, I've snuck in here a few times when nobody's here and I like get on the drums and, you know, turn into like animal from the Muppets and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> But, I mean, you know why the Lord is never, you know why the Lord is never, ever um, 
given me some spiritual gift or an opportunity to use that to, in a proper sense to glorify his name. Because when I imagine it, even still to this day, sometimes shamefully, it's all about me. It's all about me wanting everybody to see me doing my thing. It's not about the Lord at all. So <laughs> I don't feel used by God when I want God's glory to be mine. He will take the glory one way or another. He will find it in one way or another. And praise God for that. Um, Paul continues on our last verse. He says this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, who gives to each one, who very specifically and selectively. You imagine the Holy Spirit understanding in a personal way. I mean, it's, it's, it's one person of the Trinity God that we worship that resides inside you, Christian, right now. It's not the force. It's not, it's not an impersonal just thing that's out there that you can manipulate. It's, it's the person of God that lives inside you. And he has a will and he has a desire and he's giving these gifts as he wills, as he apportions, as he desires. If he has a will for the matter, then it means that we have a mission. If he wants something to happen through it, then we have a job to do, which brings up the last fourth point here. There's one giver, one church, many gifts, and one mission. Which brings us back to this. What am I doing here? The Lord has allowed you to walk through things. He's allowed you to live through things. He's redeemed you from things. He's given you grace upon grace upon grace. He's given you his Holy Spirit, Christian, to enable you to not sit on the sideline and act like you don't belong, but to belong to the family of God and to exist in some way by the power of the Holy Spirit using your gifts to serve him. If you knew your time was up, could you say that you lived with a mission and a purpose? At the end of the day, could you, could you say, I know that I at least fought and did all I can to do what I came to do, to do what I was called to do? We get a glimpse of this, of what our mission is in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is about ready to say goodbye to some of these elders in Ephesus. He's not going to see him ever again, and he knows that. Matter of fact, he says that after this passage. But Paul gives us a clue on this mission when he says this. He's telling the story in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you on the whole time from the first day I set foot on Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only, and this is the big if only, if this was our if only, then we've got it, we've got it figured out. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, which is this, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is why we're here. I mean, you may exist in a certain job. You have the family that you do. You have um, relationships. You have uh, a certain school outlook. And, I mean, you, you have your path in life in, in relationships and singleness or whatever it is. Your mission in that is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God because you were once Gentiles, because you were once Americans, because you were once something totally different. But he's done a work. 
He's changed every one of us in Christ and he's not giving up on us. He's working through us for the sake of his mighty, amazing, wonderful kingdom. Father, I pray that you would, that you would bring us together. I'm praying for unity in a way that would give faith to those who don't have faith right now. I pray that you would bring uh, the walls of hostility down, that you would create in us once again a church that's united in mission, not just united in having everybody look at us. Father, help us to make people want to look at you by everything that we do live, act, proclaim from our life. Father Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth everything. God, at the end of the day, if this is what we say, if this is our confession, we give you control to do exactly what you want to do. Please work through us. Be glorified.